I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. We have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, a little sun splash can flow on the video side today. Monday, February 24, 2020, episode 238 of the Anik and Florian Podcast. Barry Foley scores the bout, 48-47, Felder. David Letheby scores the bout, 48-47, Hooker. And Howard Hughes scores the bout, 48-47, for your winner by split decision, Dan. The hangman, Hooker, it is such a fine line in this sport, uh, especially when you have two lightweight contenders hoping for that first championship opportunity, both taking part in their first UFC main event. Uh, Epic's a strong adjective. I thought it was an outstanding fight, not a fight of the year per se, but I thought it was just a great high-level main event that had the back and forth, had it all. You know, for my friend Paul Felder and broadcast partner, I certainly was uh, happy to see him shine on the biggest stage of his career by far. You know, one thing I've always known is that the moment wasn't going to be too big for him. Uh, But Dan Hooker got off to a good start, Kenny, in this fight, and and ultimately that was enough on two of the scorecards that mattered. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said, man. Uh, It was a tremendous fight. It was a high-level fight. Um, Really good technique back and forth between both men. I, I think... You know, you really nailed it in regards to the start. For Dan Hooker, he just seemed to be a little bit looser to start that fight. He was way more relaxed. Um, He did a great job of establishing his jab and not letting Felder into the range that he wanted to be. Um, And I thought that Felder actually loosened up and got better as the fight went on. He was making the proper adjustments um, and was finding success, especially with that left hook that really had uh, Hooker's jaw just not looking right. Both of these men um, really showed so much heart, so much determination, a lot of skill. Uh, and, and it was hard to see one of those guys lose at the end of the night. You didn't yeah. want to see either of those guys. Both those guys really did everything possible to win that fight. Um, you know, it, it, it was a tough one, man. And it may have come down to that last, you know, that fifth round. Um, it was certainly a close fight. Um Again, hard to say, controversial, because both men, uh, again, did everything they could. It was super close. Um, But, man, what a fight. Neither of those guys lost that fight. Let's put it that way. So very quickly on the scorecards, because again, these shows oftentimes go down this path where it's like an MMA judging and scoring show, and that is not yeah. our intention. Right. Ken Flo hates that scoring discussion. But, I do. <laughs> so Barry Foley gave Hooker rounds one and two, then Felder three, four, and five. Letheby gave Hooker rounds one through three, and then gave Paul Felder rounds four and five. And then Howard Hughes, uh, this is the scorecard, right? So Hooker round one, Felder round two, Hooker round three, Felder round four. So for Howard Hughes, he's sitting on a high scorecard going into the fifth round and he gave that fifth round to Dan Hooker. So as far as I'm concerned, that is a Paul Felder round. It was an effective striking round for the most part. I don't know how you quantify 
the effectiveness of Dan Hooker's grappling. To me, Dan Hooker was grappling because he was afraid something really bad was going to happen on the feet. So I don't know if you want to call it desperation grappling. He changed the narrative of that round, was able to get a takedown. And I understand the Hooker fans out there who say, hey, if you're Paul Felder in that fifth round, stop that shot. Take that right. out of the equation. To me, though, that round shouldn't have come down to that late takedown. Your thoughts on round five? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that uh, the takedown um, does matter. I, I, not only is it a takedown, but, um, you know, again, your ability to control an opponent and take away their effectiveness, I, I think is huge. Felder was was not going to be able to land a lot of strikes on his back, wasn't able to do a whole lot. Um, I think the aggression and seeking out that takedown was able, uh, allowed him really to um, be effective in switching up the narrative a little bit and getting Felder... Uh, that much more frustrated and taking away how effective he was. And and listen, it was close. I thought Felder was winning the striking, uh, absolutely. But it right. was still close. It wasn't to the point where there, it was a dominant round for him. Uh, was he edging out Hooker on the feet? No doubt about it. Right. I talked to Longo this morning. He feels like this fight was harder for him to score than John Jones and Dominic Reyes. Yeah, it was very close on the feet, uh, but certainly Dan Hooker got off to a good start. Paul had some shining moments, of course, came very close on uh, on a few power shots to, to maybe getting Hooker out of there. But uh, again, in that fifth round... Uh, for people who suggest that that the takedown was the swing factor, I, I would not disagree with you. I do believe if you're Howard Hughes sitting there, I hate to speculate what a judge is thinking, Kenny, but I think he saw it as a pretty close round on the feet, yeah. not enough from one guy or the other, and then that late takedown and what Dan Hooker was able to do with it uh, was enough for him. All right, let's bring uh, Ian Parker into the conversation. Uh, so Kemflo, by the way, uh, did have Dan Hooker to win by decision. I know you thought, Ian, going in that Hooker would get the finish. Uh, overall, thoughts on those 25 minutes uh, in Auckland over the weekend, my man? Oh, it was a great fight. You know, I hope Paul Felder doesn't retire. I think there's still plenty of fights for him. Uh, he, you know, could easily have gotten the nod as well and got the win. Uh, that You know, a couple of interesting rounds that, you know, I felt went his way that obviously the judges didn't feel, but overall, great fight. I think Dan Hooker is going to, you know, really have to use this and tune up on some things because, the way he fought against Felder will not work against the rest of the division, I can tell you that. But, you know, hats off to both guys. Uh, incredible fight overall. It's interesting because Paul Felder in his last two fights has been on both sides of this emotional spectrum. And I tweeted about it, right? But he's yeah. sitting in Abu Dhabi. He just beats Edson Barboza. As usual, he can barely walk. And you open up your Twitter machine and everybody's saying you lost the fight, right, as you're eating a cheeseburger. So it's like, fuck, man, I just want a co-main event against Edson Barboza and everybody's telling me I lost. Then this fight happens, right? Crazy back and forth main event. And he loses on the scorecards and he's the apple of everybody's eye. You know, it's just very interesting how emotionally you get hugely built up when you lose a close fight and everybody tries to tear you down when you double your paycheck and win a close fight. Which is why it's the worst idea ever to go on Twitter after your fight. Yes, or you're commentating, I would yeah, think. So. You know, or you're commentating, exactly. exactly. So, uh, so, Ian, in terms of, of Hooker, you know, for Felder in his last two fights, he has finished both fights as the fresher guy. If there was a fourth round against Barboza, he probably puts him away. If there's a sixth round against Hooker, I think there's a pretty good chance he's the better, more cardiovascularly inclined guy. Um, what didn't you like about the way Hooker fought Felder? I heard you reference something there. Well, no, I just, I just don't think that, you know, he was just getting touched up a lot. I think in a fight against someone like a Justin Gaethje, he gets, he gets knocked out that situation. You know, we, we talked about him using the range, his hands were a lot lower than I'm used to 
seeing every time he was throwing that outside kick on Felder, Felder was popping him with that right hand. Hooker was getting hit more than I think I've seen uh, his entire UFC career outside of the Barboza fight where he just took all those leg kicks. You know, it was almost the opposite. It was just, it was interesting to see that. I, I just felt that Paul landed the, the more significant, more damaging strikes. Um, I know he doesn't wear damage well on his face. That eye looks yeah. pretty closed uh, rather quickly. Just, I think for Dan Hooker, some of those shots, you know, again, against a guy like Gaethje won't work. I mean, he left himself open for takedowns, too. Paul just wasn't really looking for it. You know, he was – I haven't seen Hooker on the move that much like that. You know, he just seemed like he was backing up, running around a lot. When he was leading with his jab and throwing the combinations, that was working. And when he was throwing that outside leg kick, and Kenny, I don't know if you felt the same way, when he was throwing that calf kick almost, he was getting hit really hard. with His hands just were down, and he wasn't changing it at all. You know, there was a couple of times where he got caught in a combination and uh, Felder kept hitting with that left hook also, and Dan just wasn't changing anything. So I I felt, like I said, in in another fight against a guy who may have some more aggressive, powerful striking, and a guy like Gaethje who throws massive leg kicks, I think Hooker will be in trouble. Uh, You know, I I agree with some of that. I I think that uh, you're wrong about the footwork in, in a lot of ways. I, I would argue that because he kept circling, that's what di- that's what uh, did not allow Felder to come forward. That's what made him hesitant for the majority of that fight. If he wasn't moving, Felder was going to eat him up, uh, period. Like, you know, that's what Felder does best, his ability to get on the inside and bust you up with elbows, knees, all that stuff. I, I think Actually, Hooker did a, a pretty decent job early on of circling for the majority of that fight. I thought when he stayed stable uh, is when he was getting hit. Um, I think those shots early on off of the leg kicks, I would argue the leg kicks were a little bit more effective uh, against Felder than than the shots were. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think when Hooker stopped throwing the kicks, that's when he actually started getting beat up, in my opinion. But, um, you know, that that's the way I saw it. Well, I, no, and I don't disagree with him circling why he was. And I don't mean when he was stationed. I'm just saying that when he was moving back and forth, right, he was kind of doing it a little too prematurely, I felt. He was kind of exiting his combinations quickly because he was getting tagged. You know, if you watch, he was landing that straight left off the jab when he doubled it, and then he mm-hmm. circled it, and, the right, and then when he threw the right hand, he kind of went back. I, I, like I said, I just felt like when he came forward a little bit more, trust me, I, I know, I agree yeah. with you. He was getting tagged. And those leg kicks, the calf kicks, they were effective, but it was almost like he was get, uh, getting one to give one, you know? Yeah, and I, I'm just saying his hands were just kept very low the whole fight. Yeah, I, I think uh, the way that he was exiting, uh, he was exiting over to his right, which was getting him caught with that left hook. Um, I, I think that was more the problem than anything else. And and, and Felder uh, really started eating him up with that hook, man. Um, again, I, I hope Hooker's jaw is okay. I don't know if we have any reports on whether it was broken or not, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I thought there was an orbital or a facial fracture very early on in this fight. I think it was an elbow, Kenny. I don't mm. know what the weapon was, but you saw that protrusion Oof. very early on in the fight. Quickly on Paul Felder's future, because I do want to get to Deontay Wilder and, and Tyson Fury before we let Ian go and, and make way for uh, for Ray Longo. So in terms of Felder's fighting future, right? I don't like seeing guys cut a bunch of weight. I know what Paul Felder has to go through over nine to 10 weeks to make 155. So the reason why retirement is at the front of his brain on a night like this is because he's in this to win a championship, to get a UFC title shot, not unlike you, Kenny, right? And so like your last UFC fight was a championship fight. You know what I mean? So it's like for Paul at this point in time, if this is going to be 
a loss and matchmaking is going to proceed accordingly, then at 55, he, I don't know that he sees the upside. There are big fights at 70, but he also has the broadcasting career and potentially could go back to acting. I think it's easy for his manager, Brian Butler and Duke Rufus to quickly dismiss that retirement talk. And I respect it, but I don't see the upside for Paul at this point in cutting down to 155, 56 pounds, three or four more times, you know, at 35 plus years of age. And that's why I hope he, uh, he grabs a microphone and chills up. I, I agree with you, John. Listen, it, it, this is a brutal sport to begin with. He's had, uh, a lot of wars in his career, just his fighting style, um, that's probably what's going to happen more times than, than anything else. And um, I think Felder has proven himself as a fighter uh, repeatedly as far as his heart, his determination. He's become a popular fighter because of that style. He has a career now uh, as a commentator. He can do that for the rest of his life. And, um, you know, it depends on what why he's in this. Is he in this sport to just fight and make money? Well, right. okay, he can right. continue fighting. For me, I'll, and I'll speak for myself, I was in it to try to become a world champion. Uh, and, you know, at that point, when I was injured and had already fought for the belt three times, it just wasn't worth it. I wasn't going to destroy my body to continue doing something that I didn't think was going to be really possible at that point. You know, for Felder, losing at 55 against someone like Hooker, um, you know, and you know, going up to 170 pounds and having to deal with all those guys. There are so many people, unfortunately, ahead of him, both at 155 right. and 170 pounds. That title, uh, you know, shot is just not going to come right. probably for the next two years. Even if he was undefeated for the next two years, it would still probably be difficult for him. So that's tough, man. He's got a, he's got a, a, a daughter to take care of, a family to take care of. He can go and make a, a bunch of money as a commentator. Um, yeah. he's done amazing things in the sport. So, you know, why would you continue if, if it's going to be that much more difficult to be a champion? Ian, if Paul Felder had won this fight, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he would have gotten the Justin Gaethje fight, but I, I just am not convinced that Gaethje was going to take that fight anyway. So you can argue that Felder might not lose too much in terms of his next fight, right? It could be Ally Aquinta. I think there's a lot of legs for that fight because it was made before and it didn't materialize. They're both entrenched there in the top 10. Um, but the, the path obviously got longer uh, on the back end of this split decision loss. What do you think is next for, uh, for the Iron Lung Paul Felder? I love that you're still pushing that nickname. Um, I'm with it. I like it. You know, th there is one name that I would throw out there if the UFC was able to make this happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I just think it'd be a good transition for him because essentially this opponent I'm going to name fights at 55 but doesn't like to cut weight. Imagine Paul Felder versus Nate Diaz. You know, for me, I think that's a winnable fight for Paul Felder. He could fight Nate at 170. Both are really 55ers. And to right. me, that's a money-making fight for him. And if he wins, that's a great name on his resume. Um, you know, but I do agree with you. You kind of beat me to the punch. If he stays at 55, Ally Aquinta would make a lot of sense. You know, but I, for to Kenny's point, I don't really see what there is left for him at 55. You know, the that table, that line is very, very long. You know, it really yeah. is. And at 70, I think there's more maybe money fights um, that fit to his style a little bit. You know, outside of Dustin Poirier, stand-up-wise, and like a Tony Ferguson, a guy like Habib, which, again, Felder's not going to get to, will wrestle him to death. So he's got a lot of good things for him on the side. If he wants to keep fighting, I think there's just a couple of names out there that, uh, for him, I would just try to make as much money as possible because either one of those divisions is a long line to get to the title regardless, even at welterweight. You know, that division's all sorts of screwed up as well. 
And Kedflow on the hooker side, I mean, this puts him in prime position in most divisions, but we talk about this 155-pound log jam uh, made even tighter by the fact that there are just a lot of big names that traditionally have long layoffs. Uh, what do you think is next for Hooker, and ultimately, what do you think the lightweight ceiling is for him? Well, listen, I think uh, Dan Hooker gained a lot of fans with this uh, fight against Dan Felder, uh, against Paul Felder, sorry. And, uh, you know, just the way that he competed out there, the kind of heart that he showed, I, I thought was really impressive. Um, I do not like that fight against Justin Gaethje, though. I, I think if he fought that same way uh, against Gaethje, um, it would most likely not go so well for him. He'd have to uh, adjust his style, I think, significantly. But... Um, listen, I, I, I think it's not a bad fight. It would be a huge fight for him. Uh, you know, if he fought someone like Gaethje, I don't think he's ready for someone like that. Um, I, I think he should, you know, probably find someone else and then, you know, maybe one fight then, uh, perhaps Gaethje or someone, uh, near the top five, but, um, it was a huge win for him against a, a tough opponent in Paul Felder. And, um, you know, I, I think he's going to be a way more popular fighter now. That's for sure valuable 25 minutes of fight time game by both guides and, and certainly both raise their stock. We'll see uh, what happens with Felder and Hooker and we will get Ray Longo's thoughts on that fight coming up here shortly. But I do want to uh, get your collective thoughts on Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury. I guess we should talk about the fight first and then everything that, that the night encapsulated later because I do think it was a big night for boxing overall, uh, even though for me, there's just not nearly enough meat on the bone compared to a UFC pay-per-view, but uh, I don't want to steal their thunder at all. As far as the fight is concerned, Kenny, uh, Tyson Fury fought brilliantly. I, this fight was was more one-sided than a lot of people thought it was going to be. Deontay Wilder closed a slight betting favorite. Uh, Fury was absolutely brilliant, and uh, as such, he is the talk of the town here on a Monday, kid. What would you think of the uh, boxing pay-per-view over the weekend? You know, heading into the fight, um, I, I think it was pretty clear to everybody, even in the first fight, who the better boxer was, and that was Tyson Fury. Um, this is a guy who knows how to get in, get out, uh, adapt uh, during a fight. Um, he's very impressive, both defensively and offensively. He knows how to use that gigantic frame, and he's the only guy who's going to be taller and bigger than someone like Deontay Wilder, and um, he certainly used that in that fight. Um, what I was surprised with was just his aggression in that fight and how he was moving forward. He didn't play the counterfighter really like he did in that first fight. He went forward right behind that jab. He was landing that one-two with a lot of success and confidence, he just knew he was going to go out there and take him out. I mean, he just had that vibe about him, um, really took control early on, and seemed to have Deontay Wilder just completely confused and off balance throughout that fight, not only from the shots that he was landing uh, in and around the ear, uh, but also just due to his feints, his ability to get in and out and slip out to the side. He was leaning on him, just making Wilder suffer for each and every second of that fight. And he just seemed to turn it out, turn it on round after round after round. Um, I was blown away by that Tyson Fury performance. And uh, that is the best heavyweight boxer in the world. And you put it into the context of everything that he has dealt with as far as the adversity in his personal life of, you know, coming back from, you know, being addicted and, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, all, all the issues with, you know, um, you know, dealing with depression and all, I mean, it's just amazing what he has dealt with and how he has come back to establish himself as the best, best heavyweight boxer on the planet. It's unbelievable. 
He is certainly that, and Ian Parker, there's no way you're going to get him at 5-1 to one by knockout in his next fight, no matter whom it's against. Uh, I know it was closer to 3-1 to one at close, but uh, did have a little scratch on Tyson Fury by knockout at 5-1. to one. Uh, What did you think overall of the boxing pay-per-view? And uh, Am I the only one who pays for these things, Ken Flo? Everybody seems to be getting a Most free likely. stream. Yeah. Uh, I, pay, I paid my seventy nine ninety nine. God damn it. Yeah, I didn't pay I didn't pay the seventy nine ninety nine. My buddy hooked me up with a link and I streamed the shit out of that thing. Um you know huh. yeah, listen, I can't justify justify paying that because what if Wilder knocked him out in the first minute or what if we had a boring fight? It's like fuck. Yeah, this is why I never used to pay for Ronda Rousey fights when people couldn't figure out how to defend an arm bar. It just it was terrible. Huh. Um you know, yeah. this, this fight, though, I think did, did a lot for boxing in the heavyweight division because it lived up to the hype as the first one did. Um, Tyson Fury, the story's amazing. What a great personality to do this for the sport. You know, a couple of nights before, he was on that round table they do, and he discussed how he was going to take it to Wilder, that he was going to knock him out in the second round. And everyone thought he was just fucking around playing mind games. But he really just, I mean, the weight gain, people were concerned about that. I thought so, too, because he's usually very light on his feet. Didn't know how he was going to move around at 273, but he just put on a show. And I guess that punch behind the ear, um, his eardrum was not perforated, and he didn't uh, suffer a broken jaw. But obviously, it threw his balance off so much. Um, yeah. Those body shots that were landing, Fury just fought perfectly. He just fought the best fight of his life against a guy yeah. that could turn that fight around with that right hand at any time. And uh, that was incredible. You know, what's next for him? They talk about Anthony Joshua, but I know Wilder has an immediate rematch in his clause, uh, clause of his contract. Right. I kind of hope that doesn't happen. I'd rather see Fury fight Joshua first before right. another Wilder fight. But, man, yeah. good for Fury. You know, that, that photo of him keeps floating around the Internet right now of him looking like Fat Bastard from Austin Powers. And, you know, to, to get cleaned up, to drop all that weight and come back and do what he did, and the way he came back in the first fight, let's not forget that. What a, yep. I mean, yep. incredible. I don't think he's going to win back the world of boxing to be bigger than MMA, but it did a ton for it. I mean, everyone and their mother was definitely watching Tyson Fury that night. No doubt. Staying up late on the East Coast, nothing easy about it, but the Europeans don't want to hear that noise, that's for sure. All right, Ian Parker, uh, appreciate the time, buddy. We uh, we obviously have John Annis MMA Charity Challenge winner making picks today, but we will talk to you next Monday for uh, the pay-per-view UFC 248, man. Have a good week. You got it, man. Take it easy, guys. So, Ken Flo, Teddy Atlas was very critical uh, Sunday morning of Deontay Wilder. And I'd imagine if I was ingesting more boxing content, I would have heard some of this criticism leading up to the fight. But he just said Deontay Wilder, he's not a fighter, he's not a good fighter, uh, was really denigrating uh, the skills, you know. And he just says he's, you know, he's a born puncher, right? Like born with natural power, and there's no denying that. Uh, but we didn't necessarily see an evolution. I mean, it was he was flat throughout. I know he was compromised early, but uh, one man's triumph is another man's pain, and this was about as forgettable a, a showcase night as could have possibly transpired for Wilder. It was tough. Well, listen, uh, you know, he, he was truly exposed. I don't think anybody out there thought that Deontay Wilder was this insane boxer uh, prior to that. Right, I think he right. was always kind of criticized as that. He was that... Um, guy though that if he landed one shot perfectly he could end the fight in an instant and um that is, is always impressive to people um had what the highest i think uh boxing knockout percentage in heavyweight history and heavyweight yeah. championship history and um it, it was impressive to watch but uh, against tyson fury 
um, he, he just never really had the ability to land those shots, and uh, Fury really exposed him. Deontay Wilder did not make the proper adjustments. Uh, you know, again, I think the, the commentators were talking about this, but um, why aren't you getting better? I, yes, just because something works, and this goes throughout everything in combat, just right. because something works right now doesn't mean it's going to work later. Right. Why isn't uh, Wilder working on new skills? Why is he in try to? Why isn't he trying to improve as a boxer? Uh, I I don't know. I don't get it. Uh, again, and if you look at that fight, you say if there's one guy who could have made adjustments to go right. out there and win this fight, yeah, everyone right. thought it was going to be Wilder. If he just right. makes a few adjustments, you saw him. He started to tag Fury late in the fight. Right. Had him out of there. He just didn't make those adjustments. Didn't right. learn from that first fight. Didn't improve. Didn't come back with anything significant. It looked like he was just looking for that right hand repeatedly. And, of course, yeah. it really never came. He landed it here and there. Right. But against a huge guy like a 273-pound Fury, right. you're gonna, it's going to take more than right. several big right. shots. Well, in anything you're doing, right, you're trying to get better. Like our podcast exactly. is pretty regimented, right? There are specific things that we do do every week. But even though we don't try to reinvent the wheels, like we're trying to, you're trying to get better. You're trying to make the content as 100%. good as possible every week, uh, no matter what you're doing. Um, well, congratulations to Tyson Fury. Longo here in two minutes. Quickly, though, wanted to get your thoughts on just the night as a whole for boxing because it's obviously a whole different take on the West Coast, right? So some of this – that you're going to hear right now is probably dad who wakes up at 5:30 a.m. Eastern, who's just fighting it to stay awake. Um, but just not nearly enough meat on the bone for me, as far as the whole night was concerned. Now it's being celebrated as this huge night for boxing. And I would preface it by saying that I got into mixed martial arts as a boxing radio journalist. I have yes. covered 25 HBO pay-per-views boxing, right? So there was a time when I was obsessed with boxing. That time has passed. Even this fight that really was great. Uh, way too much Kenny Bayless, way too much referee, way too much holding for me. I've seen Floyd Mayweather come out on a throne, which was awesome seeing it live in person. Tyson Fury coming out as the king was dope, of course. Lasted way longer than I thought it should. Uh, you know, Deontay Wilder seemed gassed by the time they took his, his costume off. I don't know, man. I mean, like I just, for me, this night should be celebrated. Uh, I never thought boxing was dead. I do believe the sport can grab, uh, the sports world by the balls a few times a year. Uh, but overall for me, uh, you know, I think the night as a whole is a touch overrated and I know that's not popular opinion. Right. Listen, I, I can definitely, uh, agree with some of the things you said. I, I, Again, the walkouts were a little bit over the top, a little bit ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I can appreciate that to a certain extent, but, um, you know, if you're waiting 30 minutes for a fight to get started, it's like, you know, I don't know, you, you kind of uh, let the helium out of the balloon a little bit. So, you know, and especially if you're watching on the East Coast, you're just exhausted by the time the fight starts. You're like, come on, let's get this started. Uh, and, you know, the fight itself I thought was great. Um, it was a good night for, for boxing in general, but like you said, you're only going to get a few of those a year. Um, and you know, th that's the unfortunate thing. And just getting those fights to, to, to get signed, it's a difficult thing in boxing. No doubt. And I'm not asking for this deep undercard, right? I was the radio journalist who would show up for the first boxing prelim of the night when the broadcasters weren't even there. And I was yeah. scoring those fights and everything else. Right. But 
if you're going to have undercard fighters and fights on, I just think boxing still gets so many things wrong. If you're going to have these guys on, why not talk about them and their stories as they're fighting yeah. instead of showing the hand wraps for Deontay Wilder? I mean, give the fighters who are actually fighting the respect. I just don't understand in 2020 why that's still going on. But uh, Ray Longo probably doesn't understand why he's still on hold. So let us get to the <laughs> Ray Longo Minute. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Ray, you know, sorry for the morass of negativity. I sound like a, a curmudgeonly old man at times, but I don't know. I mean, maybe I just wasn't drinking enough on Saturday night. I thought the fight itself was great, uh, but give me a, a UFC pay-per-view over that shit every day of the goddamn week. <laughs> hey, listen, it was, a, it was a good surprise for boxing. Uh, I was listening to your commentary. I, I didn't even see the walkouts. You know, I'm, I'm moving around the house. I'm doing things. So I just got back just to watch the fight. So I, I heard he came out on the throne, but I didn't see it, and I, that probably would have driven me crazy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just, I just watched the fight from the first round to whatever. And I thought uh, for two big guys that uh, Fury's boxing skills for a guy that size are phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, don't have enough good things, obviously, to say about Tyson Fury's performance. Uh, as far as the Felder-Hooker main event was concerned, Ray, I know we spoke earlier and you thought it was an exceedingly dif difficult fight to score. I think sometimes it's hard for fans scoring at home when they see the judges' scorecards, Kenny, and then they say, all right, I had Felder rounds two, four, and five. I had Hooker rounds one and three. I feel pretty convicted, and not a single of the three judges had it, for example, the way I scored it. Uh, Ray, nonetheless, we sit here on a Monday after another very close, very exciting UFC headline. Yeah, no, it was, listen, it's one of those fights where there absolutely was no loser, but I thought Felder gutted that out, and he was moving yeah. forward. Uh, after he figured, after he got by the jab, and uh, Hooker's movement slowed down a little bit, he connected with the biggest shots by far. Uh, I don't think the calf kicks bothered him, and I think when Felder started attacking Hooker's leg, it had a big impact on his movement. So I don't, I don't know, man. It was a, it was a great fight by both guys. But if I was scoring it, I would have given it to Felder. But I can't see it going either way. No problem. Kenny, when you fight 25 minutes, and I, I guess I, I'm just wondering how convicted in a close fight guys are mm -hmm. in the moment that they have done enough to win. Because I sure as shit, two days removed, Paul Felder really thinks he won that fight. But in the moment, you know, he was very humble in defeat and not at all upset with the judges, right? Um, but I think after having some separation, Ray, Paul really feels like he won this fight, but in the moment he didn't use that as an opportunity to scream from the rooftops that he had been you know, harmed in any way. Right. Well, look, uh, he, look, he knows it was a close fight either way, but yeah. what happens in that situation is you're walking back and your coaches and people start talking to you. Uh, you did this, you did that, you won the fight. So that he's being influenced after the fact. I think at the time he gave those humble statements, he knew he was in a great dog fight. It could have went either way. He's in the guy's backyard. And I think that's what he was expressing. And uh, But then, you know, in hindsight, you know, as you're walking back, your coaches are going, you were robbed, and you did this, and he didn't do that, you know, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And then you start, you know, changing the narrative in your own head because you have a different, uh, you have a lot of opinions. But look, I had told the winning the fight, so he has every right to... Uh, he 
he has every right to think he won that fight. And I think Hooker has, I, I don't know, I, I think Felder won the fight. I don't know. Kenny, you were very dominant in most of your career wins, but like in the Jose Aldo fight, right? Like, I felt like you were maybe up 2-1 after 3, if memory serves. Like, do you know after those 25 minutes, like, did you, like, what were you feeling in that moment? It, it was tough. You know, listen, I, I don't think I, I thought I should have done more in, in some of those rounds, you know. Um, I, I feel like in that five-round fight, it also can be a tremendous blur. Um, so, it, it's hard to kind of keep track of what's going on, and when it is a close fight, man, you really don't know. Um... And I, I think that that was a part of it. I also think that, you know, Felder, um, you know, being coached during those corners, he understood he needed to really go for it and win those rounds. He knew how close that fight was based on what yeah. Rufus was telling him. Yeah. So, you know, in the moment when you're taking damage and you're not quite sure how the judges are seeing it, I think you're going to be a little bit more reserved and, and not going to be so appalled by, by the scorecard going the other way. Yeah, and the other thing is, uh, you know, I, and it shouldn't have any effect on anything, but he got bloodied up early. I think he's yeah. got that type of skin that reddens, and I think, you know, from if you're looking at who, who won the fight that way, obviously, you know, it doesn't look good for Felder, but yes. I don't know, you know, what his damages are. But, you know, like, again, he was getting popped with that jab. So, you know, I think once he figured that, that out and the other guy slowed down, I thought he started taking yeah. over. But uh, it was a great fight. You know, it really yeah. was, but... You know, I think during the fight, Felder looked like he was taking the worst damage, which I don't know if that's actually the case, but right. I think that could right. have a little impact, you know? Yeah. And I thought Paul won that second round, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that he dropped the first three rounds, right? I mean, he was down 3-0 yeah. yeah. on, on David Lethaby's scorecard. So, Ray... I'm going to put yeah. you on the spot here a little bit. Not that you would have much for me. I know Ally Quinta is uh, is trying to uh, reel in a big fight, but this Felder Quinta fight sort of should happen. It deserves to happen. It was on the books, and then Al was pulled to fight Khabib. I don't know what Felder's <clears throat> appetite is to cut down to 155 pounds several more times, but it would seem to me like the calendar might just align for these two boys to uh, to finally fight. What do you think about Al and? Uh, Felder finally getting it. Well, on. like you say, it was it was supposed to happen, but I don't know if the calendar is going to align because I think Felder's going to take some time off. Oh yeah, to fight yeah. now. So we'll see right. what happens with that. But uh, you right. know, Fal I, he's it looks like he's dying to get a fight within two months. To me, he's right. been uh, you know going back and forth. But uh, if it aligns, it aligns. Obviously, it'll be a great fight. Uh, two guys are going to throw down, and they have a common opponent. Uh, so yeah. We'll see, but I think uh, look. I, I don't think Felder's retiring, even though he said it. But you know what right. it's like, you know, little children crying when you leave the house, and then you got to go to Australia, and you, you know, it's a tough fight. And who knows what he's going to do? But I, I don't think he'll retire. But I, I believe his sentiment at the time was for real. Yeah. You know, well, and I careful, think we've, I... all, we've all been there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, those kids could break your heart. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right, Ray. The calendar almost assuredly is not going to align if Al wants to get one in here quickly. But uh, yeah, no, Felder's daughter Ashley, I think, is four years old right now, and he's missed a lot already. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the other thing too is that a training camp, 
uh, for a super fight of sorts, that's probably the wrong adjective, but for a selective fight at 170 pounds, it just takes on an entirely different thing. He has to completely isolate himself to make 55 where maybe he could cheat that a little bit uh, and still have a productive training camp being home with his daughter. You know, kill yourself to make 155 pounds, basically suffer for months or go up to 170 where you're going to take even more damage. So I know th- th- that's a tough one, man. Th- th- that is a tough one. He's already, again, established himself as a top uh, lightweight and excellent fighter in two divisions. Um, he's a talented guy who can go ahead and do a lot of different things. Um, I-, I think he's thinking about doing a lot of those other things and spending more time with his family. Yeah, I, I think I, I felt that was heartfelt what he said. And I, I'm, I'm yeah. agreeing with Kenny on that. I think he, yeah. and again, I think we've all been there with little kids. It's, it's you got to make some really hard decisions, man. I know it sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, I don't know, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Aljamain Sterling, Piotr Jan, Corey Sandhagen, Magic Marlon Marais, Jose Aldo, they're all chasing Henry Cejudo. I don't know what Henry's chasing if it's uh if it's a seven figure payday or what it is, but uh, can can we get some finality? Can we get a fight booking at 135 pounds, Ray? Like what is going on here? I I think they I listen. I think they're trying. I don't know. I was I was more clear three or four weeks ago when you asked right. me. Now I'm not so clear. So who knows? I don't know. I have no the idea. The life of I a fighter that. just waiting around for a fight like Corey Sandhagen and Justin Gaethje, all these guys just sitting around waiting for a fight. And, and a high-profile, huge, life-swinging fight at that. It's got to be torture just sitting waiting for the call. I would think so. And I, th- I think these guys are put in a position where they earn the right for a big fight. And some of these guys aren't making the huge money yet. So it becomes a... A business decision also. Do you mm. stay active? Do you wait? You know, I've earned the right, but I want to be active, but I don't want to fight for this amount of money. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And I'll tell you, before you know it, man, those years start flying by, you know? Yeah. No, it's tough, it's man. Crazy. All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks for the time. Thanks for shuffling your schedule for us a little bit. We're still trying to get you that video component there in Garden City, New York. At some point, I mean, it's embarrassing that we're five years in, but at some point with the YouTube channel launched just a few weeks ago, we're going to get you all set up at your gym so that you look like man, a real me, podcast co-host. Uh, let me tell you, man, oh. I'll be, I will do up my hair, put on my lipstick, and let's get going. And I don't mean, <laughs> I don't the, mean uh, the lipstick part. That was a Freudian slip. Sorry about that. <laughs> hey, get, a, get a nice yeah, ruby red. It will look great. Compliments <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, man. Enjoy the day. It's beautiful here in New York. It's February, sixty degrees. I can't believe it. I'm going out to enjoy the day. Let's right, go. Man. There he is. Take it the in. great Ray Take Longo. Yeah, right. With us every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast. Now I'm going to New York City, Connecticut area on Friday. It says uh, we're looking at lows in the teens this weekend. So I want my kids to fucking freeze. That's the goal, <laughs> right? They'll be properly clothed, but I want them to go to New England and understand right. why we live in South Florida, honey. This is right. how your dad grew up, right yeah, here. Right. This, yeah. yeah. See these hard knuckles kids? Yeah. No, they're not that hard. <laughs> exactly. But it is weird, right? Like, living in the cold for 30 years, moved to Vegas, moved to Florida. Now I don't know if I could go back, but of course my right. kids want to live where it snows. So we're hoping that uh, they experience that chill this weekend and think otherwise. Yeah, let's see so, what after. 
So in terms of the Bantamweight stuff, just to put a bow on that because we brought it up with Ray, you know, there were rumblings that maybe Aljamain Sterling was going to fight Piotr Jan. Then the Corey Sandhagen fight started to gain some legs. You know, Magic Marlin, but ice factors in this mix, as does Jose Aldo, who is likely going to get Henry Cejudo, you would think, in Brazil. I don't believe that fight has been announced yet. Uh, Dominic Cruz is on a trajectory that would have him return in May or June. So there's a lot of big fights, but to Ray's point, Kenny... You have guys who have a body of work like Jan or Sterling that suggests maybe they've earned a title shot already. You have Sanhagen, who is maybe the toughest fight in the division for a lot of these guys who they would strategically try to avoid. So it becomes very difficult to get these fights in a pen put to paper. Absolutely. And again, just go over those names at 135 pounds. It is absolutely ridiculous how strong that division has become over the years. Um, there's so many skillful guys, so many different ways that division can go. Uh, and it's further complicated by the fact that Cejudo's the champ at 125 pounds as well. So I don't know, man, is there any word on Cejudo and is he training yet? What's going on? Well, thankfully, we will have a new flyweight champion this weekend and that right. will no longer be a part of the narrative. Yeah, right. no, I think he's going to fight in May. I okay. think Henry Sudo is going to fight in May. He is training uh, pretty invasive shoulder surgery, though. So uh, wow. it's going to be a tough first fight back after that procedure. But uh, we'll see how it goes. We got to spin this thing forward because uh, we do have a UFC live event on ESPN Plus this weekend in Norfolk, Virginia. Before we get to the picks, of course, it is the pronunciation of the week. TJ just really stole the show a week ago. We'll see how <laughs> he does here today. They did call her Loma, by the way, on the broadcast, if you noticed. I didn't hear a lot of uh, Luke Boon Me or right. whatever Dolphin is in uh, in Thai. So TJ's 2-1 and one on the year. This fighter today will compete in the featured bout at light heavyweight this weekend against Iwan Kute Laba, TJ DeSantis. Sorry about the L.A. traffic this morning. Oh, it's terrible. Good morning. I'm here. Yeah. We made it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So who are we talking about today, kid? Magomed Ankalive. Oh, <laughs> you want to give me that surname again before the file? Did you say Anka Live? Anka Live. Okay, let's hear. Uh, let's hear how he says it. Magomed Ankalaev. Magomed Ankalaev. Nah. What do, you, what do you mean, nah? What, what, nah. Where, <laughs> Anka Live. I said it nah. correctly. You, Ankalaev. That's not uh, what he says. Ankalaev. I don't hear him Ankalaev. say that. Yeah. yeah. There's a K and I hear the the four syllables there, TJ. Uh, I love my favorite part of this podcast is when Ken Flo. What's the judge? The Randy Scott. What's it when you're like, oh, that's a no for me, dog. The uh, old yeah, American Idol. No me, dog. Yeah, exactly. That's gonna be a no for me, dog. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's a no. Uh, <laughs> So my twin brother listens to every episode now because he's on this running kick, and he thinks that we're we're not generous enough with TJ. But to, I mean, that's a no for me. I, I don't know. It's it's Ankalaev. <laughs> I mean, let's hear it again. You tell me where he says Ankalaev. Magomed Ankalaev. Magomed Ankalaev. No. So part of the reason we do this segment is to shine light on how difficult a process this is to try to get these right. You know, TJ DeSantis is a credentialed mixed martial arts play-by-play guy. We all sit here and hear the file and, and obviously hear things differently. But uh, TJ, unfortunately, all you need is one of us to give you the win. Uh, it's a no for both of us, and therefore you're 2-2 two and two on the year. 
Um, all right, let's make some picks, shall we? Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Ah, God damn it. What the fuck? Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. You know, I got to think a lot of you guys out there have done some manscaping at this point in time. And and if you have, you know it doesn't always go off without a hitch, right? Kind of like, a, like a, a paper cut on your balls, right? Not fun. Good news, though, men. These manscaping accidents are now a thing of the past. Manscaped spent 18 months redesigning the greatest below-the-waist trimmer ever created. The new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 features a brilliant, cutting-edge ceramic blade that allows for a much more quick and efficient trim, largely because you're not worried about cutting yourself anymore. It is a premium product, I can assure you of that. LED light for more precise trimming. They've also upgraded the motor. The battery lasts up to 90 minutes. Rapid charging dock is sleek, looks good on your counter. Powered by USB as well, which makes it super easy to use. Manscaped has truly thought of everything to make the Lawnmower 3.0 a life-changing product for men. And we want to help you get one of these things in your hands. So, to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com, use the code AF. Code AF, manscaped.com, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code AF, manscaped.com, promo code AF for 20% off with free shipping. They got a customer for life in me. I'm telling you, Lawnmower 3.0. I want to like buy 10 of them to make sure that they don't like get rid of the ceramic blade or something. That's how much <laughs> this thing has changed my yeah. life. But uh, we got to move this thing forward. Main event challenge time. Team Anik had the lead 19 to 14. Uh, but Team Florian, despite going two and three on the fights, you predicted almost exactly how these things were going to turn out. You had Jimmy Crute by submission as an underdog. You had Dan Hooker by decision. So extra two points there for the round of the method on Hooker. You win the week 6-3, shave the lead down at 2, 22-20 as we hit UFC Norfolk, Virginia. And with us to make picks today, he is the winner of the inaugural John Annex MMA Charity Challenge, which took place back in November. Nick Contreras is on the line. Nick, good to have you with us, man. Are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for uh, bringing that beautiful Southern drawl to the program. So if you didn't play our charity challenge, Nick beat a field of like 600 people picking fights, wow. allocating chips. So absolutely crushed this format. And uh, we hosted him at UFC 247 earlier this month in Houston. And now he goes head to head uh, with the UFC legend, Kenny Florian. Nick, when I met you in Houston, you were... Uh, I mean, cold as ice in the best of ways, right? Calm, cool, collected. Any nerves whatsoever knowing that you're going head-to-head -head with the UFC legend Kenny Florian today? Be, be level with me. Cool as a cucumber, you know? I, yeah. I, feel, I feel pretty confident. I've been a UFC the, fan for a long time, but uh, I know Kim Flo's uh, definitely probably has one up on me, but uh, I'm ready to go. Just don't hey, mispronounce it, anything, okay? Hey, the Anakin Florian oh, podcast jitters. It's a real thing. It it's is. It's a real thing. Ask Joe Silver. <laughs> Absolutely. It is interesting, though, and I think, Nick, like a lot of our listeners who in the past got a chance to come on and make picks against Kenny, they are very confident in their ability to watch mixed martial arts and analyze mixed martial arts and have been fans forever, so they want the opportunity to go head-to-head -head with Kenny Florian, and uh, that floor is Nick's today, so let us get to it. 
First fight, light heavyweight Magomed Ankalaev, minus 265 against Iwan Kutelaba, who is plus 225. So Ankalaev, however you pronounce it, his name, good fighters, won three in a row since being submitted by Paul Craig in his UFC debut. He's 27, born in Dagestan, so has that combat Sambo, Greco-Roman background that you'd expect. But also a lot of power here, Nick. What do you think about Ankalaev as the favorite against the Moldovan Iwan Kutelaba? I definitely think that it's a, he's a warranted favorite. Um, however, I think I'm going to go with Ewan on this one. I think he had a really good performance against Khalil Roundtree. Um, the takedowns were there. Uh, even the leg sweep that he, that he got on Roundtree was really impressive. Um, definitely a lot of power from um, Magomedov. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Ewan uh, via TKO in round three. All right. Ewan Kute Laba by TKO. Plus 225 tickle there, Ken Flo. Yep. So little underwhelming for me on the Hulk overall, right? Four and three in the UFC, but he has won three of his last four. Starting to show, show some signs that maybe he's turned the corner. Um, and again, the only loss in that stretch to Glover Teixeira. I, I like watching him fight. I like the violent style. I haven't seen much, Kenny, in terms of Kute Laba's evolution. Uh, your thoughts on him in this matchup against Nikolaev? Uh, I, I agree with you on a lot of those things. Um, but I can see why Nick uh, is going with Kute Laba. Um, he does have a heck of a lot of power. Um, I, I just don't think he matches up. Uh, that well, as far as um, you know, the grappling goes. I think Ankalaev uh, essentially is going to be the better grappler here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he mixes it up with some takedowns. Uh, I think both guys are about even uh, in regards to um, the power. Um, I like Ankalaev here uh, to take the win. All right, co-main event, widespread here, but we pick all co-main events. Women's featherweight division, Felicia Spencer, minus 770. Again, Zada Fairn plus 335. We'll need the round and the method here. So Nick Spencer really impressed a lot of people in defeat to Chris Cyborg last July. Pretty extended layoff since. Um, and Zara Farn, hope I'm pronouncing that right, 6-3 and three overall. Uh, submitted by Megan Anderson in her UFC debut last October in Melbourne. Uh, any shot for uh, the French woman Farn here, Nick Contreras, or you think this is going to be all Felicia Spencer? Yeah, to be honest with you, I think Felicia Smith is really going to take this one. Um, like you mentioned, she showed just a tremendous amount of heart and grit against Chris Cyborg and um, it even showcased her grappling ability a little bit. And she's won via rear naked choke against Megan Anderson as well. And now you can't really uh, take MMA math into the equation here. But I think in this case, um, I think she takes it uh, via submission in round two. All right, Felicia Spencer by submission in round two. Ken Flo, Zara Farn. Obviously has that UFC debut out of the way. She's long, pretty good stand-up skills, but uh, Vegas says she's overmatched here. Your thoughts on, on the co-main? Yeah, listen, I, I see Spencer hitting a takedown uh, up against the cage. I, I see her pressuring her, getting a takedown up against the cage, getting her, on, getting her on the mat early, and winning this fight by submission in round one. All right, round one, Felicia Spencer by submission. The pick-to-click for Ken Flo, which brings us to the main event. For the UFC's vacant flyweight title, unfortunately not more shine on this fight because we have UFC 248 coming up next week. This Felder-Hooker main event really resonated with fight fans, but this is for a vacant UFC flyweight title. Joseph Benavidez slightly favored, minus 130. Davison Figueredo, the underdog here at even money. We've seen some money come in on the Brazilian, so even this morning I'm seeing minus 125, minus 105. Benavidez was in the minus 155 range a few days ago, so money coming in on the Brazilian, who is 17-1 and 17-1 overall. Uh, had that loss to Juicy A. Formiga in March, 
And I can't get that performance and that fight out of my head. I know MMA math doesn't always add up, but three months later, Benavidez just smashed Formiga. And again, for me, uh, I don't know. I just, that was not an encouraging sign or a good visual for me. But uh, very close fight, Nick, on paper. A couple finishers here. 31 combined stoppage wins between Benavidez and Figueredo. Uh, Nick, who do you think leaves Norfolk, Virginia, the new UFC uh, flyweight king? So I think it's going to be Benavidez. I think this might be one of his last chances to, to grab that flyweight belt, um, and just due to the uncertainty of that division. And um, he's had a couple chances before uh, to get that flyweight belt, but um, I think his last few performances were really impressive. And um, I'm going to go with uh, Benavidez. I think he's going to pull it out by unanimous decision. Our unanimous decision for Joseph Benavidez, the favorite. Kenny, uh, Joe B has won 9 of 10 since that last UFC title fight against Demetrius Johnson, which was in 2013. He is beyond worthy of this third championship opportunity. It could be a 10-fight winning streak, the close fight against Sergio Pettis, another close one in there against Cejudo, but uh, I think he deserves the distinction as the favorite, albeit slightly. Your thoughts on on Figueredo and Benavidez and what we might see play out Saturday night? Without a doubt, I would love to see Benavidez finally get that championship belt around his waist. The guy who's been doing it forever. Uh, just love the guy, so I am um, obviously a little bit biased here. I do think Figueredo is a very tough matchup for him, especially in tight where Benavides has been caught trading in the pocket at times. And um, I think Joe needs to be very careful as he enters. He needs to feint his way in. He needs to be all the way in or all the way out. Um, and I do think he could really take advantage of uh, the Brazilian fighter if he's able to take him down to the mat repeatedly. I would not be surprised if Benavides is able to get a TKO or a submission down there. Um, I'm going to go with Benavides by TKO round three. Benavidez TKO round three. All right, Nick Contreras, good stuff, buddy. Appreciate the effort and uh, certainly your contributions later last year in the charity challenge. Thank you for coming on today. And uh, as we always say, you beat Kemflo head to head. You're back in the queue, buddy. So thanks for the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. All right, so we'll see how it plays out. Benavidez versus Figueredo. That is your title fight coming up Saturday night. You can see that card wall-to-wall on ESPN+. And with that, we got to get on out of here. I got to, like, catch up on sleep after these boxing pay-per-views. Uh, appreciate everybody out there for listening, for watching. Thank you for everybody who's found that new YouTube page. Ian Parker, by the way, reads all the comments. He's trying to reply to everybody as well. So uh, good back and forth going on there on social media. Of course, it's at Anna Florian Pod. Big things to come on that front, by the way, in the next six or eight weeks. And, uh, of course, next Monday is a huge show for us, a pay-per-view week. We'll get you prime for UFC 248, Adesanya versus Romero. That is March 7th, I believe, in Las Vegas. With that, thanks to TJ, Mike Heck on the video side, Ray Longo, Ian Parker, Nick Contreras. For Ken Flo, I'm John Anderson. So long for now. We appreciate y'all. Until next Monday, enjoy the fights. Don't text and drive. Yo, later. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line.